Welcome once again to another episode of Living Hope, a weekly show designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. With somebody who's, well, been dealing with it longer than many, and for a long time to come, but still, I'm, we're, we're confident here. Uh, Roberta Luna, how are you? Good morning, I'm good, how are you doing? Okay, is that a strange way to put it, uh, that uh, it's not gonna go away and you're you're not gonna give up? So this is, a, this is a struggle for a long time here. Yeah, apparently it's not going away and I'm not giving up. I'm going to be more stubborn than it is. So ah. my goal is to live to be at least 100. So if it wants to take the journey with me, I guess it will. Yeah, it could ride along. Well, we're glad that we get to take the journey with you here. This has been an amazing journey. Uh, it t- this, today's just kind of you and I chatting, recapping what we've seen, where we've been, and where we're going in the new year. Uh, I think it's uh, it, it, it really is... Uh, um, it's a life story. It really is. It's about living with a deadly disease. I get that. But it's also about how you make every moment count and how you make the most of uh, the battle. The, you know, you're locked in this battle and you won't give up. And so many give up and lose hope so quickly here. So just recount for those who may have tuned in for the first time. I doubt most people know this story, but just give us quickly your story again here, how, how you got into this and how, how long you've been battling it. Okay, thank you. Yes, I um, actually started many, many years ago um, before I was even really young, I'm too old to really know the difference or understand. Um, my grandmother passed away from pancreatic cancer in 1964. I was only nine years old, so I guess I'm giving away my age there, but yeah. um um, you know, not knowing, I mean, she was my grandma and she was doing everything she could. I didn't even realize she was sick. She was still doing whatever, but, um, I recently came across some of her journals and found out that she'd been sick, but, um, the diagnosis came very late and she passed very soon after getting that diagnosis, probably within just a couple of weeks. Yeah, wow. Again, being so young, I knew she was, you know, she was sick, but I had no clue what it was until years later when my dad um, became ill and then was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and not knowing there was a relationship between his mother and himself. Um, it wasn't until we were actually at, my dad passed away and um, with a very short battle time. Um, it took them six months to diagnose it, but once he was diagnosed, he was gone within a couple of weeks. Wow. And it was at his memorial service that his brother, my uncle, came to me and said, you know, that's what your grandmother died from was pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that concerned me. I'm thinking two family members. I really didn't know much about it. I'd never really even heard of it until, you know, Michael Landon came on board and said that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. on Patrick Swayze, a couple others. Yeah, we've had a few. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is before, you know, Patrick Swayze. And I so I had heard of it with Michael Jackson. I'm sorry, Michael Landon, but hadn't really given it much thought afterwards. And then when my dad was diagnosed, I thought, wow, that's, you know, two family members. It didn't look like much had changed. I talked to my doctors and they told me not to worry. It's not hereditary. You're too young. So again, I never really gave it any thought. And my dad's baby brother and I actually became ill around the same time in October of 2001 and really not knowing what to look for. Cause my family apparently doesn't complain about anything. So I wasn't really <laughs> sure what was going on, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. 
thought it was just a flu that was just, you know, for myself, was just having a difficult time getting rid of. And um, my uncle called me in um, January and said, you know, I'm sorry, Squirt, I just was told it's pancreatic cancer. Go home, put my house in order. There's nothing they can do for me. And it was very devastating to hear that again. And again, he died within just a few, I think probably a couple of weeks as well. And again, going back to my doctor and saying, you know, I've lost my third family member. What do I need to be concerned about? And, you know, I'm not feeling well. And you know me, I'm not a hypochondriac. I don't like going to the doctor anyway. So, you know, what do I, what do I need to look for? And again, it was being told, don't worry about it. You're too young and it's not hereditary. And as it continued on, um, you know, the doctor's thought was, well, let's just wait and see what happens. And I'm not really good about waiting and seeing. I'm not the most patient person there is out there. And and this is not a disease people should just wait and see what happens. No, because we were hearing nobody survives this disease. So I was very concerned. I watched what my dad went through. He was almost six feet tall and about 170 pounds. And he got down to probably 70 pounds before he died. And, you know, he reminded me of the Holocaust survivors that you see pictures of. That's what he looked like. And I didn't want my family to go through that and see me have to go through that. So I just told my doctors I wasn't comfortable waiting and seeing, gave them a blank check, signed it, and said, let's get started with some tests. Is that what it takes? I mean, do you have to be that aggressive sometimes? And do you have to be willing to pay for some of this stuff yourself where they like, well, I don't know. There's nothing. I can't justify it to the insurance company and I don't see the need to do it. A lot of times if the doctor isn't behind the test, then yes, the insurance company doesn't want to pay for it. And even sometimes when the doctor is behind the test, I mean, I've gotten where they didn't want to do the test because they didn't feel it was necessary, which I couldn't really understand. If my doctor feels the test is necessary, why is the layperson coming back and telling me, no, we're not going to cover it because it isn't? It's the downside Um, of uh, trying to control costs in medicine is that there are panels that decide Sometimes they ugly call them death panels, but the, this idea of who lives and who dies, what we'll do and what we won't do. And sometimes that I get the impulse to do that because there's an impulse sometimes to overtest, to over the doctors, you know, make money every time they do a procedure. So let's do a million procedures and let's cover ourselves. And the client loves it. We love it. And the insurance company's like, wait a minute, do we really need to do all this? At the same time, how far does that limit what really should be done and needs to be done? I think a lot of times it does. And like I said, I guess maybe if the panel were made up of other doctors, maybe I could have understood it. But coming from a panel of lay people on there and having a doctor and two doctors saying, no, we really need to do these tests to see what's going on. It was just very hard to accept. So lucky for me, I was in the position where, yes, I could pay for that test on my own. But a lot of people aren't in that position. And if they can't pay for it, then they either have to hope the insurance will cover it or they're doing without or finding some and other How options. much money so, are we talking about? Is it thousands? Is it hundreds? So what's it cost? Well, you're talking about thousands of dollars. It's not a cheap test, you know, and unfortunately every test or most tests for pancreatic cancer are very invasive. They have to stick a tube down your throat and go into the pancreas. So it's not a fun thing. It's not like a blood test and not that a mammogram is fun. Trust me, that's not the most fun test either, no. but at least it's not, you know, as invasive and, it's something that they can do and, and find out fairly Will quickly. We ever, before with, we go down, you know, we're talking about the last year, and I know that you've done some shows about research, and we'll talk about all this in, in greater detail in a moment, but I don't recall. There really is no blood test. There, I, I don't know why other cancers I can detect, detect through a blood test, a simple blood test. I can see there's something out of balance or wrong or there's something there that shouldn't be there. I can't see this in pancreatic cancer, at least not today, right? 
No, not yet. They are working on a blood test, but it's not there yet. It's still, you know, in that stages. It's not like, you know, like you were saying, prostate cancer years ago, they didn't have a test either other than the physical exam. But now they have a PSA, which is very accurate. So their survival rate has really greatly increased because of that test. So it's something that we very, you know, we need very, it's very important for us to have something other than something so invasive and costly. Because as you've all talked about extensively, and again, I'm just covering this ground because this is kind of a catch-all, you know, review show. Um, Part of the problem, perhaps, in why people don't get it sooner and therefore the survival rate is so low is that the pancreas isn't outside your body. It isn't obvious something was there. It's uh, the signs could be anything. They could be a backache. They could be the flu. And so there's a tendency to dismiss them until you can't come up with any other explanation, right? Right, because of where the pancreas lies, you're right. It's It lays behind the stomach and more towards the spine. So a lot of times people present with back aches or side aches. So a doctor will think, and you will think too, you pulled a nerve or you hurt, you hurt your back, or maybe it's a kidney infection or something else. And with some of the other symptoms, the nausea, diarrhea, constipation, that can be anything, you know, intestinal. So it's But you really don't hard. feel a lump like you do in your breast in, in a self-examination. No. Say, uh-oh, I better go check our lump on your face or or a a growth or something on your skin and you start to notice something there. You don't notice this, so it's progressing without quietly, silently. It's giving you these subtle little hints, but you're dismissing them, the doctor's dismissing them as something else. Right, because generally when you're laying down, they're not gonna feel it. If it's small, it's gonna have to be pretty large for them to feel it, and that generally doesn't happen until later on, but um, yeah, it's just not something that on a physical exam, exam is usually picked up. It's usually through the symptoms and generally what usually causes the scare is when you become um, jaundice, which is the yellowing of the yes. skin or the eye. Now there's something that's changed. There's no normal explanation for why your skin's getting yellow or something like malaria or whatever. All right. So the amazing part to finish the story is you had this family history. You got concerned. The doctor says, don't worry about it. He says, I am worried about it. Here, I'll pay the couple thousand dollars just to put peace of mind. And instead, it put the puzzle together. You did have pancreatic cancer developing. Yes, and you, I mean, I, I think I suspected it, of course, just because, you know, these red flags go up when you have so, fam- so many family right. members that die from it. But then when the doctor walks in and they don't look at you in the eyes, you know that the news isn't going to be good. And, yeah. you know, he sat down took my hand, said, I'm sorry, you're right. It it is pancreatic cancer. And you already know the odds. Nobody survives this because, you know, you have your own family situation. You've already been through it and seen it. So, but, you know, let's get started with some treatment to hopefully give you some, you know, good um, months, a few more months, maybe than what you would have with. So it wasn't coming in with positivity and hope. It was like, you know. And so part of the inspiration for this show was to, to, you know, give a no BS look at what this is really like before, during, and after for the people going through it, for the people around them. The real stories are people really affected and how they really deal with this on a daily basis. And we're not trying to sugarcoat it. It's still very deadly. It has gotten better since uh, your diagnosis. I guess it's doubled from 5% survival rate, which is minuscule and horrible, to a 10% survival rate, which is doubled but still tiny. Um, you were part of that 5%. You were the amazing few who has lived with it now for, what, 19, 20 years, something like that? 
19 years it'll be 20 years in april so we're getting there but it's 19 um and yeah when i my dad was diagnosed it was three percent when i was diagnosed it was four percent and now we are up to ten percent which you know is better because it took so but it took so long to get there and it's still it's still unacceptable we have to do better we have to do more to get that survival rate up there how did they get the survivor rate up did they come up with better drugs better tests get to it early and, and and so what if you get to it early if it's ravaging through your body it doesn't that just give you more time to i guess deal with it but it doesn't i i don't know what early detection does they can't i guess in some weird cases they can go cut it out but not many operations yeah there's only like a 10 to 12 percent where surgically is removable and mine is not because of the location it's intertwined with the vein and arteries that run through the pancreas so at the moment mine is inoperable and most people aren't, but a lot of them are able to, at least through chemo and radiation, maybe shrink it enough to go in and remove the tumor or even, you know, remove part of the pancreas. So there are surgical options, um, not many, just the Whipple's the only one I'm really familiar with. And it's not an easy operation either. It's a long recovery. And it's like, you know, you're pretty much repiping everything and, you know, cutting things apart and, and resectioning and organizing. So, um, so what does early detection do for it? And it, I guess I'm trying to get at how did they get the survival rate up and what can we do to get it better? And, and people say, get to it earlier. Okay. Why? Yeah. I think early detection does help because whatever stage it's detected at, then, you know, you have it, you know, how to do what you can do to deal with it. And you have hopefully some options with either chemo, radiation, surgery, you know, combining all those or whatever might work. Um, I don't know if it's because, for one, you know, the organization that I volunteer with, um, PANCAN or the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, has done a great job as far as bringing out awareness. So we do many events and many awareness events and seminars, webinars to get the, you know, to get it yeah. out there. I don't know if that's part of it. I like to hope that's part of but I think just bringing out the awareness and making people aware that if you're feeling something, you know your body the best, you know, stop and realize that if it's not feeling right to you, go to the doctor, do what you need to do. If you have to get more than one opinion, keep going until you get somebody who's willing to listen to Amen. you and move on. All right. So um, looking forward uh, to 2020, well, we'll save that one to the last. Let's look backwards. <laughs> so you came in here and was on one of our shows and I started saying, that's a powerful story. And you said, well, there are others. And I said, and not all good, but, but all powerful tales of how people are silently dealing with this silent killer that most people don't even really know exists still. It doesn't have the national prominence, nor probably the national numbers of breast cancer or other kinds of cancer. It has a very, very uh, deadly ratio. So um, the thought came up, maybe we should tell these stories as part of this station here. Could we, should we give people a resource, a place to hear from real people really dealing with it? And your reaction was, sure, but not me. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'll help support this. I'll help find the guest, but uh, don't put me on the air. I'm not, I'm not going to tell these stories. I'll tell mine, but I'm not going to ask other people. And yet you blossomed into this very powerful spokesman because you give very real, honest, empathetic, questions. I mean, it's very, I'm not just saying this because you're here. It's a very moving uh, half hour each week as you get people to really go through it. And it's not always happy and it's not always sad. And some, it's just real. What, what, what did you, what did you get out of this? What do you, what's your reaction now as you blossomed into this, uh, not just a, a spokesman, not just an advocate in Washington once in a while, but uh, an actual uh, 
talk show host talking about this. It's still weird to hear myself refer to that way when people do say, oh, you're the host of a podcast. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I am, because yeah. that wasn't that was not my intention at all. I had no clue what I was doing, but um, I tend to jump into things and then try to figure it out after I've jumped in. But, yeah, it's been a great experience because being able to share the stories, I feel like even though the ending wasn't always what we wanted, they're still important. People still need to hear them. We still need to remember these people and what they went through. And hopefully that helps to bring the awareness where, you know, you hear where the somebody that didn't survive, you don't want your family to go through that. So if you're hearing, you know, maybe some of the symptoms, you might move a little quicker than you would have before because you can relate and say, oh, I remember hearing that story and they went through that. Maybe I need to talk to my doctor. And there's two parts of this that I don't think we've fully flushed out yet. One is the stories of the people going through this on the journey. Oh my God, I've got diagnosed. I've been diagnosed with a deadly disease. How am I going to handle this? Am I going to give up? Am I going to fight? If so, how can I fight? Where do I fight? What do I do? You know, all those kinds of questions that you run to the internet and find. And there aren't a lot of real good answers to that because the answer is give up. It's even some doctors say, go home and make like your uncle make peace you're dead. This is, this isn't, there isn't time to do anything here. Um, so that's been part of the story, but the amazing story are the people around and from survivor's guilt to, gee, I tried everything I could, but it just burned me out. I couldn't handle this. It overwhelmed me to tales of like, I'll give you a couple that just stick in my mind. The young man who now works with Pancan, who really never knew his father, whose father at a young age is diagnosed and told he's going to die and he has a son on the way. He has a baby coming and he hangs on somehow miraculously because he wants to see this child be born and he does and then he dies. And his son who never really knows the father um, through the organization and through his efforts, this is how he keeps his father's memory alive and honors his father, the father that held on to see him born and then couldn't help hold on any longer. Oh my God, you choke me up every time I hear these kinds of stories, but that's a powerful tale of, of survival. It isn't, it wasn't over when his father died. The story lives on through his son. Yeah, it does. And um, this young man is now in high school and, you know, he has gone to advocacy day with us when he was very young. I think he, we used to refer to him as one of our youngest uh, supporters because he was just, you know, a very young child when he would go to advocacy day, which is when we go meet our, our representatives and ask for either more funding yeah. or not to show up. Funding. Hey, we're here. <laughs> Pay attention. Yeah. This is real. Yeah. It's really deadly. And we need real help here. And no, not just facts and figures, but real people showing up to tell real stories like, like this one. Well, that was a moving tale. And the other one that equally unbelievable to me is another young man, his best buddy, they're big athletes and very athletic and his athletic buddy. I think he's in, like in his twenties or something. I may have the time frame wrong, but he's pretty young and he gets diagnosed. This isn't for the ill. This isn't for the weak. This is for anybody. And yeah. he dies and his friend, his buddy says, I'm not going to let my buddy die for nothing. I'm not going to let his memory die. And he lives on, goes to the military and comes back and says, I'm going to volunteer in this organization. I don't have it. Nobody I know has it except my buddy who died from it. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life telling people about this and advocating and raising awareness and raising money. And so that eventually nobody has to lose their buddy like this. 
and he's become a very active member. I think he's your chapter president or something locally. Yeah, here. he's our affiliate chair now. And like you said, he his um, friend, they grew up together and, you know, uh, we're on uh, marathons and, and the track team and whatnot. And um, so, yes, his friend Tyler was very healthy. And so this was very unexpected. Um, he thought he just injured himself playing soccer and come to find out it was pancreatic cancer. Um, uh, JB started coming to uh, the advocacy days and, you know, speaking for, with Tyler. And then after Tyler passed, he continued on. And like you said, when he retired from the, from the service, he became our affiliate chair, which I was thrilled. And we were all thrilled to have him. He's been a great addition and continues to speak for his, for, for Tyler, for his best friend. So that's an amazing story. And and I, I love this idea that you do where you dedicate each show to those to somebody, somebody who you've lost or somebody who's in the fight now or somebody who's fighting on, you know, to, because it's an ongoing story. We had, we tend to think of these people, I, I think of my own life, when people got very sick and had cancers and died, it was horrible, it was awful, it was over. We forgot and moved on. And I always say part of it is because I don't want to remember. That was a horrible period. I don't want to remember my mother and Parkinson's and, and the, the last few years. So I don't think about it and I don't advocate and I should, I don't go and fight. So those don't have to go through this. I just want to forget. And I think that's a lot. And, and, you know, it's nothing, I don't hold that against anybody because we all can only do what we can do. It's especially with pancreatic cancer, it's not a pleasant journey for anybody. Um, and for family members, when you've seen, like I was saying with my dad going from 175 to 70 pounds, when you see that, it's, it's horrible. And to know what they've gone through, a lot of people do want to walk away. And I totally understand it because it's a hurt and pain. You don't want to keep going through. But for me, it's an inspiration because I don't want others to go through it. So if I can go through a little bit of the pain that I went through for my family to prevent maybe somebody else or to help them or to bring the awareness, it's hard, but I want to do it because I don't want my dad, my mom, any of my family to have died in vain. Yes. Their death has to mean something. Isn't that ultimately what this is all about? If I'm got to go through this and I got to find some meaning in it, it's got to mean something. Maybe it can, maybe it can help raise awareness. It can help raise money. It can help one other person uh, go suffer, go through suffering, go through this. Um, and the stories, it goes on. I mean, you've got some wild stories. The other one that stuck in my mind is the a couple. They're they're like retired age, and they <laughs> both lose a spouse. And then not through their advocacy in this, but through just online dating, discover each other and fall in love. And the first thing they find out about each other is, oh my goodness, we both lost a spouse, our spouse, our only spouse to this deadly disease. So rather than just saying, hmm, isn't that unusual? They make this a unifying cause for them as a couple. And they both talk about each other's partners without uncomfortableness and I love and care them and they're gone, and now I'm here and going on with you and remembering your spouse, and together we're going to raise awareness and build a new life together, a new story, but the story continues of the people who came before us. That's a That continuation of journeys I find amazing. I, I don't think that's the norm these days. When a story's over, it's over. I don't want to talk about your ex-wife. I don't want to talk about your uh, dead father. I don't want to talk about my dead mother here. We just, you know, forgive, forget and move on. Yeah, they have a very, I think, unusual story. And I, I wish that, you know, 
people that are remarry after losing a spouse would really tune in and listen to their story or watch it because, you know, the love that they have not for themselves, but still for their, you know, their spouse that they've lost. You can love more than one person. Yeah. And this notion, it's not a threat that I once loved somebody else and they, and I still have feelings for them just different than I do for you. And, and I can love more than one person. we are given that that ability i mean we have children we love more than one of one child or you know we have parents or whatever so yes we're able to love more than one and just not to feel that jealousy because you know it's just what was a love that was but still needs to be remembered and and carry on especially when you do have children together which this couple did not but um yeah i was generally surprised the way they met because it wasn't what i expected but i love listening to them because they just have such a love and admiration for themselves and also for the spouses that they both have lost and to keep that is wonderful so part of the journey is of living with pancreatic cancer is living after the loved one is gone and learning to live and do you do you hold their memory do you honor them do you make it have some meaning uh, does it become part of your life or does it fade away like they're gone they they, they fade away and do your feelings and memories fade away too you just bury them or, or the pain and hurt that it came with that final years I, this continuation of living on living with you know we we tend to think of it as i thought it would just be a story of survivors like yourself and there's some of those there you've had others come on as well i thought it would be a story for the struggle those who are living with it who aren't going to make it but how do you handle it what can you do Here's the information you want, and how does your family handle this in the moment? But that living on, that living with, uh, even with an ending that you don't want, how do you live on, how do the family and the community live on? That's been an amazing story. Is that, did you, was that part of the journey from the beginning, or did that just sort of come out along the way here? I think it just kind of came out along the way. It's just, you know, I think we maybe had certain ideas of what we wanted to do and just progressed. And, you know, it it turns out a little differently than we planned. But again, like I said, I wasn't planning on being the host at all. I was just going to be behind the scenes and let you do all the work. But um, so what do you get out of it? What how does it make you feel to tell these stories? You've blossomed. You really have come forward because you're very honest and real and genuine and warm and you know, you bring people to a safe place where they'll tell very difficult stories. I mean, you've had people come in and cry and share and whatnot. And I'm like, oh my God, my first impulse is maybe we should just turn this off. We're getting too first, but that, that's what people really need. I think we all, we don't want the fake. We don't want the phony. Tell me the facts. Tell me what it's really like. You know, I'm ready for some real, real answers. That's social media in general. You know, we, we, we either pretend on social media and everything's great or we really want to hear the real, get past that. Tell me what's really going on. Uh, Well, we need to hear more. I mean, the statistics are important. Don't get me wrong, but we need to hear more than that. We need to put a face to this disease because we are people. We're mothers, fathers, children, whatever. And it needs to be brought out that we're not just a number. We are people. And the story needs to be told because without being told, we're not going to see more survivors. And unfortunately, what happens is because, you know, we do get, you know, we get some celebrity spokespeople, but 
they don't survive long enough. So that then pancreatic cancer doesn't stay in the news long enough. So we need to change that. And if by doing these kind of shows where we're bringing the everyday person out there and sharing their story, whether it had the ending they wanted or not, it's important to put a face to that and not, again, like I said, not forget these people. I don't want anybody to have died in vain. And when we forget them, it's like, they weren't important or they weren't here. And that right. that's just not satisfactory for me. I agree. I'm we, Nobody wants to die in vain. My late father used to say he his fear was that he would die and all that would be on his tombstone, we don't even have tombstones anymore, would be the date he was born, the day he died, and the dash. All right. I was is just a brief dash in between those dates here. Uh, did my life not mean anything more than that? Did I not contribute? Did I not leave a legacy? Did I not will I not be remembered? Uh, what so, happened between the dash? Yeah, right. Exactly. So I work hard to keep his memory alive as a bomber pilot. And, you know, we put a little plaque up where he's, he wanted some, uh, we cremated him, but there's a little place, a little, uh, in turn and ashes. And I take my grandkids who never met him out there and describe who he was and what he did and keep that. As you've said, there's some African proverb or something. We've all seen to quote it. I will have to find it that says, as long as one person remembers you, you're not really gone. And you speak my name and I live on yeah, something, something that affects like them. Well, you're yeah. speaking a lot of names here. What are we going to see going forward? 2022, more stories, your amazing journey, just to hear you to clock in every year and uh, continue to divide <laughs> the odds in this incredible way. But we just sort of take that for granted. 20 years, I should do 40 years, 50 years. This is, you know. um, but, uh, you know, more survivor stories, more uh, people who uh, lost someone and how they, what that was like and how they live on. And hopefully some stories of hope about uh, treatments, uh, research, other sorts of things. You bring us some of that as well. Any, any and all of that? Any and all that. And I think even sometimes the stories, like I say, that don't end the way that we were hoping for, they yeah. do at least give us some hope, some, some inspiration. But what I'm hoping to do in the coming year is for one, bring out January as clinical trials awareness month. So I want to try to have some stories ah, okay. about clinical awareness, the importance of, because what people don't understand without these clinical trials, we don't get our drugs. Right. Um, it's just as plain and simple as that. Um, there's a lot of myths about clinical trials that we want to talk about and, and dispute because they're not. Um, and people don't know where to go. I wouldn't know where to get a clinical trial. If I wanted to participate in one for any reason, uh, I wouldn't even know where to go. Yeah, there is a website you can go to. It's the government. But to be honest with you, it's it's it's, it's a lot. And they have every every clinical trial with every cancer, every disease. So again, PanCan does a great job helping you find those clinical trials. So that's always my first go-to place. Right. But so I want to try to dedicate January to talking about clinical trials, having somebody, we do have a guest coming on from PanCan who will be talking about that. And maybe some survivors that have done clinical trials get their opinion and what you know, they think, um, their and their events coming up in April, pancreatic cancer awareness month, isn't it April? I think, uh, no, in November is pancreatic cancer awareness month. April is our purple stride. We'll That's be coming it. back from after COVID, you know, our last purple stride, I believe was in 2019, our yeah. live in person. So now we're all coming back, uh, one day for all purple strides. I believe it'll be 59. I want to say we have 59 uh, purple strides planned okay. for April 30th. So that'll be uh, a great day. Awareness, a great advocacy, link arms, remind, remember the fallen and the, and the ones who are still here and the fight lives on all of yeah, that kind of stuff. 
Uh, and then uh, other organizations too. You brought in uh, Hirschberg, and I mean, Hankins, one of a network of organizations around the country, of mm -hmm. all serving different purposes and different reasons and passions, but all all for the same point. Let's raise awareness. Let's raise funds. Let's really see if we can help people on this right. journey wherever they are. And there's a lot of great organizations out there, but they said that Pancan was the first one I found has been very supportive. And for me, it's the, I call them my one-stop shop because I can get everything there, whether it's research, advocacy, right. patient services, whatever. Um, but yeah, and also for the, you know, the year to come, I also want to dive into some con controversial subjects that might be a little difficult, but I think they have to be brought out, like, you know, for the use of cannabis, uh, Ryan's Law, for one, I would really want to yes. dive into. Right. All of those um, so things are uh, issues that, you know, now we get a little controversy is you, you yourself uh, got, went to a holistic medical practitioner who helps you change your diet and change your living. And maybe that's help. Maybe that's all nonsense. I don't know, but, but, but it's, it's part of your journey and, and perhaps why you've beaten the odds. Uh, there are other sorts of things out there where we've talked about having Chinese acupuncturists on, having cannabis on, having uh, a diet on, and other sorts of things. Everybody's looking for other answers because medicine says, I don't have an answer. There's no drug, there's no cure. All we know is 95% of you aren't going to make it, and we really don't have anything for you. So people are looking for alternatives. Even if yeah, and I would like to present them alternatives with some resources and education behind it, not just throw out there something that may be, you know, more harmful, but just right. to give them the information so they can know where to go to research it legitimately, where it could be a good website or a good organization. Yeah, um, and just not supporting one another. We're, you know, nobody knows. We're just saying this is here. People are going to come out and tell their stories. You, you take it for what it's worth. Uh, their own yeah, journey. They're them the good resources then have them go find, you know, the worst thing you can do is Google pancreatic cancer. I'm sorry. That's just one of the worst things you can do. So well, to be able you'll to stop, you'll go curl up in a ball and you'll quit. Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. So give them resources and education and let them make an educated, um, you know, decision on their own is really what I hope to do with, like I said, some of these subjects aren't going to be pleasant. I also want to let people know what do you do when that time comes? Yes. And your end of life is coming. The things you need to do, prepare for that, that's, that won't be an easy subject. No. But if it helps make it easier for somebody to get through, then, you know, it's um, not one I really want to approach. But I know what would have helped me getting through with my with my dad and did help me with my mom because we'd already gone through it. So to be able to offer that to somebody, then maybe it'll just cut a few steps for them to go through and make it. And the same thing with uh, it, 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 you're in treatment, you're in the hospital, uh, whether mm -hmm. it's the final stage or any stage, there are rules of the game. And if you don't know how to play the game, how to, how to handle working with the doctors and the staff, because your own doctor can't come in. Now you're in the hands of somebody else. Uh, how do you navigate medications and advocacy and making sure you're getting everything and you could be and should be. That was the whole point of Ryan's law. The father, the son has pancreatic cancer. They put him on fentanyl, knock him out, an elephant tranquilizer, literally. And he, he's young. He wants to say goodbye to his friends, his family, his kids. He's, he's zoned, he's zonked, he's drugged out. And so they said, can't we put him on something like cannabis? So we'll take away the pain, but he'll be conscious. No, because we're going to lose our federal funding. It's illegal. And on and on, and, and finally he fought and was able to get it at the very end. Now he's got this law passed. I think it passed. It, it took a couple times through both houses here in California to allow a hospital to let you bring in something other than what they want to give you, even if it's something like cannabis. Ooh, 
uh, and uh, to die in dignity and die the way you want to die. It's difficult because it was the same with my dad. They wanted to give him all this pain medicine because he was in extreme pain. Right. But when he took it, then he couldn't visit with us. And that was important for him is to be able to visit with us. So we would try to cut our visits short so that, you know, to save him from being in that pain. Because when we would ask him, well, go ahead and take, you know, take it. And he would get very upset and angry because he wanted to be able to talk to us and right. not sleep the whole time through. So, um, and just the prolong you're in and out of hospitals and how that works and how do you, do you just not visit people? Do you visit them? Are you a pain in their side or are you a relentless advocate for the patients? You know, there's an art to going through this. I've, went through this with my mom, dad, and my aunt, as I talked about numerous times on all these shows. And there is an art that I wasn't ready for. I learned it trial and error, how to be there for them and how to make sure that somebody's advocating because they're sick, they're frail, and too often there's overwhelmed, there's mistakes, there's problems, there's things happening. They need an advocate at those moments and, and how to be that advocate more than just yell and scream, yeah. how to be a cooperative part of that process. All of these things, these are uncomfortable topics nobody wants to get in, but the real stuff that we're really facing, we really want to know. How do people really get in touch with you or PanCan or anything else if they want to really know more here? Well, they can email me at, at rluna at um, pancanvolunteer.org, or they can go to PanCan's website, which is pancan.org. They can also call their number as one, I think it's 8772 P-A-N-C-A-N, and um, speak with somebody either in patient services and get any information that they need. And all the information provided to patients and their families are free. So there is no cost to the patient or to their family. And there's a lot of great resources that PanCan that they will mail out to you, booklets about diet and different things. So And how about if somebody has a story? They I want to tell my story. I want to tell my alternative treatment. I want to tell my tale of how I handled this or how my family handled this. Are you open to other stories coming in? Yeah, of course, we want to hear those stories. Um, anybody can reach out to us either through here, OC Talk Radio, or again, at I think on the, the Facebook, they can just put in a comment there, and I'll be happy to get back in touch with them. Um, again, through email, There's, I'll make sure to post something after the show where they can go in and, and contact us to tell their story, because every story is important, and I want to hear them all and, yeah. and try to get as much as we can out there. Well, we got a whole year ahead to fill up lots of stories, lots of tales to tell here of real people really dealing with this deadly disease and how they really deal with it on a daily basis. The patients, the families, the friends, the community all around us, hopefully giving us some inspiration and hope of how to handle this should we find ourselves or somebody around us in this situation here. Thank you so much for all that you do. You are a continuing inspiration to us and to everybody in that community, in your community. And it's been a kick working with you here. I look forward to doing more here. I, I really get a kick out of the show. I talk about it all the time here. Well, it's, thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity that you gave me to do this. And also I want to give you the shout out because you are the reason why we do dedicate the show because it was your idea and I loved it and think it's a great idea. So, so take us uh, out, dedicate the show to someone here and we'll wrap up for 2021 here. Cause we're off next week, by the way, if you don't know, we closed the one week between Christmas and New Year's. So we'll be back with a brand new season, new shows starting the first week of January. So take us out. All right, let's dedicate the show to everybody that was part of this first year. Um, thank them for sharing their stories. And I know it wasn't always easy. There were tears, laughter, 
hugs joy and just you know thank them and dedicate the show this last show to all those that were that helped us get off the ground and be there you yourself and also i want to give a shout out to don camber because she started this a long time ago absolutely don's Um, been a big advocate of yours our public affairs director she brought you in in the first show and she said we got to do more with this this is this is the kind of stories we want to tell on this medium real stories real people don't just tell me the facts don't just tell me a one-time interview that's fine that's part of it get me involved in it, let, put a human face to it. Uh, I start seeing these as real people and these real people are me. So, yes. So thank you to all those people that did, that did come to our first year, our first few, I'm really dedicated and thankful to have you all the support and just love you all. And thank you for helping us get this off the, off the ground. Right. Greatly appreciated. All right. On to 2022. Thank you so much for everybody listening who's listened to point to this point and we hope that you'll join us as we continue the journey into next year here on living hope a weekly show designed to provide hope inspiration and education for those living with pancreatic cancer sharing the real life stories as we always say of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis so yes if you have a story or you know somebody does and you'd be willing to share it that's what this show's for come forward Tell us your tale. And if you need help right now, there is a source. There are many, but we'll give you one. Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Call their patient services at 877, the number 2, PANCAN. 877-2-P-A-N-C-A-N. Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. For the OC Talk Radio Network, everybody here in Orange County, have a happy holiday. Come back and join us as we continue to tales of those living with pancreatic cancer.